Galatians 4, 4-5 But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The second passage is from Philippians chapter 3, verse 7-11. to But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowledge. Christ Jesus of of knowing because of the surpassing everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity we all have to come together at this time to worship you and to worship the and thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross, uh, Lord Jesus. Uh, at this time, we're going to commit to you the message we're about to hear. Help us all to receive it with open ears, and we pray for the speaker that we may that he may be able to help us all to go closer to you through the knowledge of your word. In your most holy name, we pray. Amen. Good morning. So it's December the twenty second. That's just. Uh the 22nd or the 21st? Oh, thank you, John. I have to mention your name, remember? That's, uh, <laughs> December the 22nd, just three days um, before Christmas, when the world celebrates the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as you might have gathered, uh, at least from the first passage, that's what I wanted to talk about this morning. But, uh, you know, I'll do it a little differently, maybe look at it from a, from a different angle that perhaps we're not um, all that used to hearing. Uh, but when we think about the, uh, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus, it is, it is sort of a pivotal event in history. Maybe not a pivotal event, but perhaps the most pivotal event in history. And uh, how do we know that? We know that because, you know, as we go through the, the Word of God and as we look at God's plan for mankind as it's laid out in scripture, you know, sometimes we, we look at scripture and the Old Testament and things as, as a series of stories. Uh, but the fact is, while there are stories here and there, uh, there's history, there's poetry, there's um, uh, prophecy, there's all, all genres of, of literature uh, in there, in the word of God. Uh, they really are sort of, when you look through it and you study it, you see that there is this thread that goes from the very beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation. And that thread is really the story of God's plan for the redemption of man. The story of God's plan for the redemption of man. And uh, the reason that we know that uh, this event of the incarnation, and incarnation is nothing more for you children, uh, it is the Lord Jesus Christ coming, you know, God Almighty coming to the world in flesh as a human being. That's what we mean by the incarnation. You know, the reason that we know that this was the pivotal event in history is that as we study, uh, you know, this thread, as we follow this thread through from Genesis all the way through to the crucifixion of Christ, we find there that, um, that, that we see a battle going on, almost like a, a, a celestial chess game going on between God Almighty on one side and Satan uh, on the other. You know, in Genesis 3.15, the Lord Jesus, uh, the God Almighty, He 
promises at the moment of the fall, he promises, he, he proclaims that promise of the Redeemer that would come, right? When he, say, he talks about the seed of the woman, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent and the serpent who would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And that wasn't just talking about any seed, but it was talking about the seed, the ultimate seed that would come from the womb of the woman, uh, of a woman, uh, and representing, uh, you know, representing uh, all of mankind there. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when we look at it, we see that that enmity between God and Satan is, is, is pictured for us right there in Genesis 3 and verse 15, when he says that you shall, you shall bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And then we come to Genesis chapter 4 and we see here that we have Abel, the, the son of promise, the one through whom the Messiah was to come. And here we have Cain, the, 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 the disobedient one, the one who did not want to honor God and he kills uh, a- Abel. And of course that wasn't just Cain killing Abel, it was the, the Satan himself trying to cut off the line of the Messiah. But then we see that, uh, that Cain becomes Satan's murderer, but... In Genesis 4.25, God uh, puts a new seed, that is Seth, uh, to, to carry forward the godly line. When we come to Genesis 6, verse 5 and 7, we see the wickedness of man had grown throughout the earth. And God, He wants to destroy all men. He says that, I, I regret that I have made man. And He has become so sinful. And He wants to destroy all of mankind. But, we read in Genesis 6.8, that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. And he provided that ark and Noah and his family were preserved through the waters of that flood that destroyed all of creation as we knew it, all of the earth as we knew it then. And they were preserved and through them again uh, continued that, that thread of the line of the Messiah. Then we come forward to Genesis chapter 12 and we see man has been commanded to go and, and, and uh, you know, spread around the world, go into all the world and to... And to uh, um, and to you know build these communities, and they were told not to stay together, but indeed we find man rebelling against God as he attempts to build that tower of Babel. They said, "Let us build for ourselves a city that reaches up to heaven." That was nothing more than the pride of man trying to subvert the uh, the plan of God. But then we see God foils Satan's plan there by mixing up their languages, and then. You know, they are forced to spread out because they, they start fighting with each other and they don't get along because they don't speak the same language and there was mass confusion and God fulfills His plan to spread them around. And then out of that, that one of those groups that went to Mesopotamia, He calls and chooses Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob. And then we move forward. We come to uh, further along in Genesis. We come to the land of Israel and there is a famine, a famine that that that, that puts the entire... Uh, people there at risk, the entire family of Jacob at risk, Satan again at work, trying to destroy the line of the Messiah, the seed of the woman. But then again we see that God, in His providence, He plans it out so that Joseph is taken captive into Egypt. He becomes a prime minister of Egypt and he has this plan and uh, you know to preserve his own father and his uh, brothers and they are all taken to to Egypt. But then we, we move forward a few hundred years and we see in Exodus chapter 1, as the story moves on, we find that here we have the midwives uh, of the Egyptians are called in by Pharaoh and, and they are told to, to destroy all of the male children uh, of, the, of the Hebrew, the male Hebrew babies. Uh, but um, again, this wasn't just 
you know, Pharaoh carrying out his own will. It was nothing more than Satan continuing his attempts that he began from the beginning of time, from the time of the fall there, uh, to, to destroy that seed uh, of the woman, the line uh, of the Messiah. But then we see there, again, God intervening and the midwives, they decided that they would obey God rather than man. And so the line of the Messiah was, was preserved. And then we move forward a few hundred years again and we come to the book of Esther where you have this man, Haman, trying to destroy the entire Jewish race and he gets the permission of the king to do so. But then we see God again working and there is Esther, Queen Esther, sent into the palace for such a time as this to preserve the line of the Messiah. And then uh, we move on and we see that Satan keeps trying to turn Israel away from God uh, and, and make them worship these other gods and, and just go against every commandment that God has given to them. Uh, and uh, and they, are, they are punished by God, they are judged by God, they are sent into captivity. Uh, but again, you see uh, in First Kings 19 verse 18, it says that I have spared a remnant, I have kept a remnant, 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. God tells a prophet. And then we move on to the New Testament. In Matthew we find the Messiah uh, is born of the virgin. He comes to the earth. Uh, and then we see again that Satan's efforts to stop him, to, to kill him, to finish him off, doesn't end there. But, but he moves that King Herod, that wicked King Herod, to kill all of the, the babies in Jerusalem, all of the, the, the little, little babies there, up to the age of two. But again he fails as uh, Joseph takes Mary and the little child and, and puts them on a donkey and carries them away into Egypt until the danger has passed. Then we come to Matthew chapter 4 and we see that Satan still hasn't given up. He's tempting the Lord Jesus and he says, if you bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms, the prince of the power of the air. He says, I give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you just bow down to, to me. But then he fails again. As Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me. And he defeats him there. But then Satan doesn't stop there. Later on in Matthew 26, we find that he instigates the religious leaders to, uh, to try to kill Jesus before the time had come. But again, Jesus escapes from their midst and they are not able to do anything. And then of course, we come to the cross as we'll get to that in a few minutes here. But this has been the thread of history throughout time that from the moment, you know, Satan uh, causes man to fall, God promises the Redeemer and there is this, this cosmic celestial battle going on for, of Satan trying to cut off the line of the Messiah and God prevailing over him again and again and again. And that is why we know that the incarnation was so pivotal that Satan did everything possible throughout history to stop that from happening, to prevent that Messiah from coming down in the form of man, in the flesh. And then we see in that passage that Joseph read for us in Galatians chapter 4 that when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come. The time wasn't there in Genesis 3. It wasn't at the time of Noah. It wasn't at the time of the Exodus. It wasn't at the time of the prophets. But when the fullness of time had come, when the set time had fully come, when the proper time had fully come, when the time was right, when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent His Son into the world. What a wonderful verse that is. That when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. That is the story of the incarnation. That is the 
Christmas story. But you know, as we look at that today, I want to look at it from a different angle. And I want to look at it from the perspective of, of how, when we think of the incarnation, you know, the, the, the picture that we have is, you know, and, and this has been so messed up by the way that over the centuries we have come to celebrate that it's all about, you know, uh, caroling and all about joy and mirth and, uh, and uh, you know, peace on earth and goodwill to men. And those are all, all very true. You know, it is Jesus coming was about peace on earth and goodwill to men. But, but I think we lose something very important and that is this aspect that I want to talk about today. And that is about the how, how suffering, the whole concept of suffering was intertwined with the incarnation. And I'm going to look at that in a, in a few minutes here. But, uh, but how is it that, you know, uh, that, that suffering is, in, is, is uh, intertwined with, with, uh, with the incarnation? You know, in scripture we find consistently that before joy, there has to be suffering. First comes suffering and then comes the joy. The psalmist tells this to us very clearly in Psalm 30 verse 5 when he says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Before the joy comes in the morning, there must be the night of weeping. Maybe many nights of weeping before the joy comes in the morning. You know, before the promised heir arrived to Abraham, the promised heir, the son of his loins, arrived, Abraham and Sarah had to deal with the suffering and the ignominy of, uh, of barrenness, years and years of barrenness to where they even doubted uh, the promise of God. Before the exodus and the promised land, uh, you know, getting to the promised land came, there was the suffering of years and years of slavery and, uh, and oppression there for the children of Israel in Egypt. In John 16, 21, um, you know, we read here, it talks about the, the suffering of the woman who is in labor. It says that, that, that uh, the labor of a woman comes with sorrow and pain and anguish, but it is followed by the joy that a human being has been born. First comes suffering, then comes the joy. Before the resurrection and the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was the cross and then there was the grave. You know, Paul reminds us in Philippians 3, 10, and we look at that a little later, that in order for him to attain to the resurrection from the dead, he had to first know the fellowship of the suffering of Christ, that he had to first be conformed to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the writer to Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 11, he reminds us that we must go through the training of painful chastening. We must go through the training of painful chastening uh, in the present so that it may yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. The Christian life is about suffering. First comes suffering, then comes the joy in the morning. So how was the incarnation and the fullness of time that we read about here in Galatians 4, how was it associated with suffering? And I just want to look at three aspects before we move into an application to ourselves here. First of all, you know, when you think about uh, the Lord Jesus coming, you know, the, the images that we have in our, in our mind is, is really of, you know, uh, the, 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 the shepherds on the field and the angels come and they sing glory to God in the highest. And we have all these, these uh, wonderful, um, you know, uh, wonderful uh, scenes in our head. But, but let's go back to, to what it was like in that culture and in that time. Here we have the people of Israel, the people of Palestine under the wretched rule uh, of the Roman governors, the Roman Empire. It was the, the people, the Jewish people at that time were a suffering people. They were an oppressed people. You know, when God said, the full, when the fullness of time had come, 
that was a time, that fullness of time, that perfect time, that time that God had ordained was not a time of peace. It was not a time of prosperity. It was a time of suffering. That is the context into which uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was born. Uh, you had a cruel king, Herod, and we see the example of his cruelty there. We, you know, that he wanted to kill all the children two years and, and younger. And then later on, we know that he beheaded uh, John the Baptist for a, for a very flimsy, silly reason. And the result, you know, all of this was, of course, a result of God's judgment on his people. Uh, they were suffering as a punishment for their sin. Uh, and we have the example of uh, Simeon, old Simeon who was waiting. It says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel because Israel needed consolation. They were an oppressed people. They were under the, the thumb of the tax collectors and that's why they hated the, the Roman tax collectors so much and they accused Jesus of you know, dining with tax collectors and, and sinners. And so Christ was incarnated into a world of suffering. The fullness of time was a season of judgment. It was a season of oppression. It was a season of suffering for the children of Israel. Jesus didn't come in to a time of peace and prosperity. But his very incarnation, his very arrival was into a scene that was, that was fully enmeshed in the suffering of the people, the oppression of the people. Second example or second point we see about how the incarnation was intertwined with suffering is when we think about uh, the mother of Jesus, Mary. Uh, and we look at her suffering. Let's just quickly look at Matthew chapter 1. And uh, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph. So Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Or to put it in our modern terminology, she was engaged to be married to Joseph before they came together. And the scripture is very clear here. Before they came together, meaning before their marriage was, uh, was uh, you know, done, uh, before their marriage was consummated, it says she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So we see here that we have, you know, what, what is the vehicle that God chooses to incarnate his son, the second person of the Trinity? It is this, this unmarried woman and she is with child. And maybe today, you know, this has lost its significance or its um, ignominy because, you know, people, you know, we don't have too many moral standards anymore. But in that day, this was a shameful thing. And you can just picture and put ourselves in the shoes of Mary there she's suffering from the disdain of the people. They're looking at this young maiden, you know, who is yet to be married uh, and, and she is pregnant with a child. And we know that there are so many sisters, you're pregnant. That's not something that you can hide. It's not something that you can, you can just avoid uh, anybody seeing, that you can try to disguise yourself out of. You know, she was suffering from the doubts and the possible rejection of Joseph. And it says, Joseph, and you can think about all the whispering going on as she walked through that marketplace. People were saying, oh, what a, what a uh, decadent woman she must be. You know, putting her through that pain and suffering. And on the other hand, her betrothed to be husband, Joseph, thinking here very hard, you know, how does he, and being an honorable man, he didn't want to make a public display of it, but he wanted to quietly put her away. 
you know, and uh, you can imagine the tension in her mind that she was going through, suffering from the doubts and the possible rejection of the man who was to be her husband, who wanted to put her away secretly. You think about the pain of carrying a child, the pregnancy and all, all its associated physical and emotional toll on the body. You know, I find it very interesting that God, you know, God could have sent Jesus in any number of ways, right? He didn't have to send it through the through uh, you know, him being born as a baby, I suppose. Uh, but that's the way he chose. And you think about it, you know, the first consequence of the fall, what was it? The first consequence of the fall when he cursed the woman, he said that in pain shall you, uh, so I will greatly multiply your sorrow and, in your, and your conception in pain you shall bring forth children. Here we have Mary having to go through the pain caused by the fall of her, of the first woman, Eve and God, he chose a path of suffering to, and pain to bring his son into the world. A lot of that pain was borne by this young maiden Mary who was not even married. She was probably very, uh, not, not very much in age. And then you think about the suffering that she went through uh, as in a late term in her pregnancy. You know, she and Joseph <coughs> had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. We read of that in, in Luke chapter 2. An 80 mile journey on foot and on donkey, at least four days or more traveling in that condition. And then they come there to Jerusalem and there's no room in the inn. Here is, a, here is a, the king of glory being born into a stable. <coughs> there was no room at the inn, no comfortable surroundings and being delivered in a smelly stable. You know, today we sanitize all of this, right? We have those Christmas displays and the crushes and, and you have the baby Jesus with a big halo around his head. That's not what it was like. It was a smelly, stinky stable. And you guys know all that, what that means. You just, you don't even need to stable. You just need to walk through some areas around here and you can feel that smell. That's the, the environment which this poor young woman, uh, you know, who was already facing the 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 um, you know the uh, the shame of being pregnant before marriage of carrying this child and has to deliver this little baby in that environment the sorrow of childbirth is followed by a joy of a human being coming into the world the incarnation of god the son occurred in the context of much pain he came into a time where people were oppressed where the nation of israel was under subjugated by the roman uh, rulers uh, and then he, he was born by his earthly mother Mary. And yet God chose a son to be born of a woman in the same way as every other human being. The means of Christ's incarnation was filled with pain and suffering. So we have the, the, the situation at the time. We have the pain and the suffering that Mary went through. And the third point of how the incarnation of the Lord was intertwined with suffering is of course at the cross. The suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was made a little lower than the angels. He lowered himself, we read in Philippians chapter 2. He was rejected by his own. He came, John 1.11, he came into his own, but his own received him not. There was a misunderstanding of who he was. They called him the son of Beelzebub, you know, the prince of the devils. There was misunderstanding of who he was and why he had come about his plan of salvation. There was agony that he went through in that garden of Gethsemane where he prayed, Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And then there was his death. And I'm not going to go and read the passages here. You all know the passages, Matthew 27. Uh, the cruelest type of death on the cross. 
the, the the cru- not only the cruelest type of death, but the worst kind of death that was that was associated with only the the vilest of criminals uh, of that time in that society. He could not carry his own cross. You know, he was forced to carry his cross, and he had to get help to do that. He was beaten and bruised and mocked. And Isaiah, in his uh, beautiful prophecy in Isaiah 53, describes for us how his visage was marred. You know, how he could not be recognized. He was wounded for our transgressions. He became a lamb, not uh, a lamb that was slain, not a pretty sight. And then the mental suffering, the pain, the anguish of being forsaken by the Father as he lay, as he hung there on that cross and he says, My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? You know, he didn't cry out when he was beaten. He didn't cry out when he was bruised. He didn't cry out when his, uh, that crown of thorns was placed upon his head. He didn't cry out when he was whipped with those Roman whips. But he cried out when God the Father turned his back on the Son and that eternal fellowship there was broken. He says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The incarnation of Christ was the purpose, was for the purpose of suffering for the sins of mankind. He came into a time of suffering. You know, his mother went through uh, intense suffering to bring him into this world. And then finally he bore the sufferings for our sin. Our, the incarnation of our Lord was so intertwined with suffering. So what does that mean for us? I want to just turn a little bit and talk about suffering in the Christian life. You know, the Christian life is one in which God shapes us and molds us through suffering. In Hebrews 12, it says that we are to run our race looking unto Jesus. And what do we have to look unto Jesus? Who endured the cross and suffered for the joy that was set before him. There is always a suffering and then the joy, not the other way around. Um, and there is never joy without suffering. Philippians 3.10, if we can turn to that passage that we read earlier, Philippians 3.10, the Apostle Paul, so eloquently he, he expresses his deep, deep, deep desire. Uh, you know, And he says, this is what I want. I want it so badly. I am yearning for this. And, and what is it that he says? In Philippians 3.10, he says that, you know, I, that I count all things uh, as rubbish. I count all things, verse 7, loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Yes, I've given up all of my earthly things. I've given up all of my comforts. I've given up everything possible. Why? Uh, I have suffered the loss of everything. I count them as rubbish. Why? So that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. And look at this, verse 10, that I may know Him. His desire was to know Christ. And what did it mean to know Christ? You can't know Christ without, and the power of His resurrection without knowing the fellowship of His sufferings. Without going through that suffering in our life. He says, and the fellowship of His sufferings. I want to know the fellowship of His sufferings. I have a yearning to, to experience the fellowship of the sufferings of my Lord Jesus Christ by being conformed to His death. Yes, even to the point of death. First Peter 4, verse 12 and 13. If we can turn there quickly. Again, the same, same thought. First Peter 4. Verse 12 and 13, it says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Joy 
comes after suffering. Rejoice, he says. Rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering. You know, I have this wonderful quote I want to share with you from David Wilkerson. It says like this. He says, Jesus didn't save you so you could cruise to heaven in a luxury liner. Jesus didn't save you. He didn't save me so that you could cruise to heaven in a luxury liner. He wants you to be useful in his kingdom. The moment you got saved, he enrolled you in his school, the school of suffering and affliction. He enrolled you in the school of suffering and affliction. You know, you look around you, you'll see brothers and sisters here who have been through suffering and you want to look at where they are spiritually. You can see that they are the ones who have matured, who have become more Christ-like in their life. You know, those who have been through suffering. And First Peter 4.13, we read there about the joy that suffering for the sake of Christ produces in our life. And why is it? Why is it that the Christian life is a life of suffering? Why is it ordained to be a life of suffering? Because our Lord's incarnation and our salvation was all about suffering. Because suffering is the means that God uses to mature us and to grow us and to conform us to the image of His Son who suffered for us. If you want to know Christ, if you want to experience Christ, you have to experience His suffering. To truly know Christ, we have to suffer as He did. And when we suffer, we know Christ more. We appreciate Him more what he did for us and we have the abundant joy that is not dependent on circumstances you know do you have that joy in your life are you is your joy um, you know is your joy dependent on how things are going in your life that is such a human uh, thing you know a normal human tendency that you know when things are going well when everything we want is being given to us and things are happening exactly according to our plans then we are joyful But the moment something happens, maybe it's an illness, maybe it's a job uh, that we lost, maybe it's uh, a problem in your marriage, maybe it's a problem with your child, you know, do you lose that joy? It means that you haven't really learned from the suffering that the Lord has brought into your life. Elizabeth Elliot, the widow of uh, Jim Elliot, who gave his life taking the gospel to the, uh, the Waudani tribe in South America, here's what she says. Our vision is so limited. Listen to this. Our vision is so limited, we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. Let me read that again. If you catch the the nuance there. Our vision is so limited that we can hardly imagine a love that does not show itself in protection from suffering. You know, we think that God is there to protect us from suffering. And we wonder when we go through pain and suffering in our life, you know, why is this happening to me? And she goes on to say, the love of God, the love of God did not protect his own son. He will not necessarily protect us, not from anything it takes to make us like his son. He will not protect us from anything it takes to make us like his son. A lot of hammering and chiseling and purifying by fire will have to go into the process. Dear believer in Christ, how do you respond to suffering? I don't know what you're going through today. You know, the other religions, they seek to answer why there is suffering by providing an escape. And they say, you do this and this and this and good things will happen to you. But Christianity calls us to know a Savior who endured suffering because of His love for us. And it calls us to a life of suffering that makes us more like our Savior. How are you responding to suffering? How am I responding to suffering? On this Christmas day, let us remember 
that the incarnation was all about suffering. The, the world into which the Lord, our Lord was incarnated was full of suffering and oppression. Mary suffered to bring him into the world. Christ was born into a life of suffering and eventually a painful death. What is our attitude to suffering? Do we welcome it as a way to mature in Christ? How difficult that is to do. Now I just want to close with a couple of things. One is a quote from Johnny Erickson. Maybe some of you know Johnny Erickson, but uh, for those who don't, she's a, a sister in the Lord who had a diving accident at a very young age, a very vibrant young woman had a diving accident in a pool and she became a paraplegic from the, the neck down. Uh, and, uh, you know, she's carried on in that way all her life and continued to serve the Lord. And here's what, what Johnny says, and I couldn't help but think, think of dear Joel uh, when I read this quote. And here's what she says. In a way, I wish I could take to heaven my old tattered Everest and Jennings wheelchair. She's talking about a wheelchair. She wishes she could take a wheelchair with her to heaven that she's been in pretty much all of her adult life. And she says, I would point to that empty seat. I would point to that empty seat and say, Lord, for decades I was paralyzed in this chair. But it showed me how paralyzed you must have felt to be nailed to your cross. My limitations taught me something about the limitations that you endured when you laid aside your robes of state and put on the indignity of human flesh. At that point, with my strong and glorified body, praise the Lord, that's what we're going to have, a strong and glorified body. I might sit in it. I might rub the armrest with my hands. Look up at Jesus. And add, and here's how she closes this. I might look up at Jesus and add, the weaker I felt in this chair, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned, the more I discovered how strong you are. Thank you, Jesus, for learning obedience in your suffering. You gave me grace to learn obedience in mine. What are we learning from our suffering? The Lord Jesus Christ, he was obedient unto death. Even death on the cross. He humbled himself unto death. Even death on the cross. In Hebrews it tells us that he learned obedience. He learned obedience. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. And I hope this message is speaking to you today. And uh, maybe some of you, I don't know. I think we don't remember much. At least I don't remember much. Uh, you know. But this is not the first time I'm... Uh, It's not the first time I'm speaking this message. You know, I preached this message eight years ago. It was December 25th. Two thousand eleven. And we were all meeting there. It was a Sunday. And maybe Benji, you remember we were meeting at NLCI. You know, we didn't have chairs, we were all sitting on the floor. And uh 
that was when I spoke this message. And uh, there's a little bit of a story, a back story to that. You know, a few weeks earlier, you know, I had been asked to speak and I looked at the calendar and I noticed that it was, you know, I was going to be speaking on December 25th. And I remember vividly it was a Sunday afternoon and normally what, what we like to do on a Sunday afternoon is take a nap. And I was just lying in bed and I was telling my wife, Sarah, you know what? And she was pregnant with uh, little Josiah, you know, just a month away, or maybe six weeks away from delivery. And I remember telling her, uh, you know what, I got to speak on December 25th. I guess I got to give a Christmas message. And uh, I said, you know, all the Christmas messages, they're all, you know, everybody's heard it. Is there something new that I can do? And, um, you know, and she's the one who gave me the idea for this message. Not only did she give me the idea, a day later, she gave me all the notes. Okay, and she said, here's the points, you know, you need to speak. And, uh, you know, I thought it was good, and I put it together, and, uh, you know, I preached the message. But that was eight years ago. And, uh, you know, I think it was just academic. It was just an academic message. You know, the logic sounded right, the logic sounded good, I could build a good message. Um, But... You know, as I've testified before, and it was just two months later, the Lord told me, it's time for you to suffer. I know there are others here who've been through that. Whether it's a wife who was ill, looked like Rebbe and Asha and everything, they've been through. And the Lord was telling me, you know, it's not enough to preach. It's easy to preach. It's easy to stand and talk about suffering. But I want you to experience it. And yes, everything now I know, all of those quotes, you know, how God molds you, how you learn and you draw closer to Him, how you really know Him more when you go through suffering, those became real in my life. And today I'm a very different man. Experienced the grace of God, I experienced the goodness of believers, I, I experienced patience and learned patience, I learned that God is in sovereign control, that there's nothing in my hand, that there's nothing, no plan that I can put in place that, that I know is going to, you know, it's going to be thrown out of the window the day after tomorrow. It means nothing if you don't submit to God and you don't receive what He allows into your life. The incarnation was all about suffering. The Lord Jesus, His sacrifice for our sins was all about suffering. And my prayer is that as you go through this Christmas, you know, yes, enjoy the songs and the carols and the, the food and all of these things, yes, but remember that the Lord Jesus came for a purpose, that is to redeem you, and not just to redeem you, you know, to put you on a cruise, uh, cruise liner to heaven, no. It is to mold you, it is to make you, to, to conform you to the image of His Son, that's why He came, that's why He died. That's why he suffered and he does that through suffering. So dear friend, I don't know 
what you're going through in your life, even as you sit here today. You know, maybe it's something related to your education. Maybe it's something related to your married life. Maybe it's the health of a loved one. Maybe it's a problem at work. You know, turn to God in faith and trust. And ask Him, Lord, what do you want me to learn from the suffering? Let our life not just be academic, but let us experience it. Maybe the reason I, I was really prompted to speak here for two reasons. One is because today I, I asked, in fact, uh, I think I bumped somebody. I don't know who I bumped. Uh, that was already assigned. Uh, uh, you know, but I told Charlie, I want to speak here. You know, Number one, it's the day before Christmas and this is the message the Lord is telling me. Speak this message again. You know, because most of you were not here eight years ago. And then because Rebbe and Asha are leaving and we'll have a time here to, um, to, uh, to you know, to uh, um, go through all that, to send them off. Uh, with with our prayers and and blessing, uh, but I want to speak this because you know I hope that the Lord is speaking to you. You know whatever you might be going through, just remember the the Lord has a purpose. You know the Lord doesn't owe us an easy life. He doesn't owe us uh, you know a bed of roses. He doesn't owe us anything because He already gave us everything. He gave us His Son on the cross. He has accepted us as we are. And he, didn't, and he has begotten us, he has made us his own for a purpose, and that is to make him into the image of his son. And, and if you want to grow in your Christian life, my friend, you have to go through suffering, just as the Lord did, just as Mary did, just as the people of Israel in that oppressed, in the, in that oppressed time did. And I trust that the Lord would work on your hearts and draw you to him as you deal with whatever it is that, that you might, that, that if there are sin in our life, that we might repent of that, that we might take on the suffering that comes from repentance and confession so that we might be molded into the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercies. We thank you, Father, for the beautiful in, uh, beauty of the incarnation, Lord, part of your plan that Satan tried time and again to subvert, Lord, But we thank you that he was not victorious, that he was defeated, that the Lord Jesus came and he conquered death and hell. We just want to thank you, Father, that that you are that that you have given us, Lord, everything that is needed for life and godliness, Father. I just want to pray for every person here, Lord. I don't know what everyone is going through. Lord, I don't know what you want me to go through, Lord, in the next six months or the next year, Father. But I just thank you, Lord, for the way that you have molded us. I thank you, Lord, for the way in which you will continue to mold us. I pray, Lord, that we might not look at pain and suffering and small problems or or any kind of problems in our life in the same way, Lord, but we might look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he joyously endured the cross. Pray that we might pick up our cross daily and follow you, that we might joyously endure, Father the suffering that you allow into our life, that we might, we might embrace it, Lord, that we might have that zeal and desire that the Apostle Paul had, Lord, that he expressed in Philippians chapter 3, that, they, that we might know him, we might know Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings, Lord. Thank you for the examples that we have, Lord, beautiful examples before us, Father. I just want to pray for each person here, Lord. I want to lift them up to you. I want to pray that each one, Lord, would come to maturity. I praise you and worship you, Lord. 
we praise you and worship you as a church in the name of our lord and our savior jesus christ amen okay before uh